0: And welcome back to Industrial Theory. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, CEO of Stone Age, and I'm so glad you're here today. This month's guest is Richard Bass. He is the HSE supervisor at Carare America. Carare is a specialty chemical company headquartered in Japan, but they have facilities all over. Richard is in the Houston area. He's been with Carare for well over two decades which he'll talk a little bit about in the episode and he's going to share his insight and journey to bringing safety training and certification into Karare and he's going to talk a little bit about the Houston Business Roundtable which is celebrating its 50th year this year and how that's helping promote safety in the United States. This is a fantastic episode. I know you're going to be inspired by Richard, so hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I am back with Richard Bass. Richard, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me. I look forward to this conversation.
0: Good, me too, me too. All right, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at uh, Curray?
1: All right. So like you said, my name is Richard Bass. Uh, I live in the Houston area. Uh, we're like, uh, I don't know, halfway between Houston and Galveston. Uh, so I work at the, our La Porte Pasadena plant here. Uh, it's the EVAL. Uh, the uh, EVAL plant's part of the Karari America uh, company, which our bigger, uh, I guess, uh, parent company is Karari um, in J- out of Japan. So we have... Uh, You know, plants all over the world, uh, mostly in Asia, the Americas, and in Europe.
0: And how long have you been there?
1: So I've been with Karari for 23 years. Feels like it's uh, been about a year, but then again, some days it feels like it's been 50.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally get it. Uh, What kind of roles have you done uh, throughout your career there?
1: So I started off with the production team, uh, really in the manufacturing side. And uh, about 15 years ago, I guess I transitioned over to uh, the safety side.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. And do you like that better?
1: You know, I think it's uh, I think for some people it's a calling because it's definitely not something that everybody wants to do. Uh, you know, when you're looking at uh, at things, uh, you know, you're looking at how we can protect people, what we can do differently. It's not just about you know putting as much product out the back of the the back door, right? I'm just really trying to focus and make sure that we provide a safe work environment for everybody who steps onto our site. And that's really what I enjoy doing.
0: So tell me a little bit about why uh, Karare decided to get more involved in hydroblasting safety and also the advancement of hydroblasting technology.
1: Yeah, so this is, you know, through many conversations over the years, but really, uh, One of the main people I had been talking to about uh, through different committees I'm in uh, was uh, Bill Shaw with Evergreen. I believe he's a a board member for WJTA, but, you know, we'd have really good conversations about different things in our industry. Some of the stuff that I've been looking at was, you know, just walking around the plant when they have uh, things going on, whether it's a turnaround or, you know, we have different uh, transitions where we have hydroblasting work or industrial cleaning going on. You know, but really, that is the one area that most of us in industry know nothing about. I mean, we all get a little bit of crane and rigging. We all get a little bit of everything else that goes on in our plants or, you know, within our industry. But it seems like that's always been the, the hidden, the, uh, just let them do their job. They know what they're doing. Don't worry about it, you know. And it was really having those conversations. We wanted to know more about it. You know, we wanted to really get involved in it because it is so different. And it's also, when we think about it, you know, their exposure to risk and their exposure to danger is uh, higher than anything else, in my opinion, that goes on in our sites. So that, that was really why, you know, having those conversations, it really just started changing that mindset and really wanting to know more and it kind of grew into hey let's do something about this
0: yeah i think this is a very common uh story that i hear from facility owners saying you know we don't know what we don't know and even though hydroblasting work has been going on in facilities for decades um it's really it's it's really starting to come to the forefront i think with all of the efforts that have been put into building out training and, uh, advancing technology. And so, but do you, do you think that this is a common thing? I mean, I know you talk with other facility owners, uh, you know, outside of your company. Do you think this is pretty common?
1: Absolutely. So, and I think where the cause of this comes from is, so where we're at in the LaPorte area, we have 43 chemical plants within a five mile radius. Now, some of them are larger. You got your bigger names. You got your Lyondell's. You got, you know, um, Cavestros, You got Carrari, You got all these different chemical plants, but you also have these smaller ones where maybe they only have like 60 people on site. Well, to them, the technology and what's going on, they look at it as more as foreign, you know, and they also look at it as, oh, that's expensive, you know, that that's a cost when they really don't know and they don't understand that in reality the efficiency level goes way up but so does the safety value goes way up as well and you can't put a you can't put a price on the safety because all it takes is one incident that's all it takes is one incident one severe near miss or one severe really where someone cuts themselves with the high high pressure water and ends up in the hospital and, and you're like well how can we get these people away from, from the hazard? You know, so we really are trying to take it to ourselves where we're relaying that information to these people There is options out there and it doesn't cost as much as you think.
0: Yeah. And I think that it it goes back to, the idea of this is how we've always done it. And because Absolutely. it's a maintenance activity and, and not, you know, a, a part of the production activity, right, there's some of that separate, there's just some of the separation within the plant trying to say, okay, how do we overcome this? So, you know, how are you overcoming that inertia of, you know, this is how we've always done things, both from a training perspective and from um, adopting technology?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that's a great point about the, this is the way we've always done it because, you know, I remember before, even before 9-11, because really 9-11 changed some stuff a little bit because it changed how people got into our plants. But pre-9-11, it was, you know, you, you'd hire, you'd hire a, a hydroblasting contractor and they'd bring a four-man crew with the rig and that's all you expected to come out there. And you had no idea of where these people came from you know, maybe they might be on the side of the road that they, all they had to do is have a slicker suit and some rubber boots and they were ready to go to work. So nine eleven made some changes happen as far as like how they get into our processes. And so I think that's really where we've kind of made that jump off point. And now it's like many years later, but we're still pushing and trying to say, okay, well now we know who's coming into our sites, but now we need to know what kind of training are they getting? And again, talking to Bill Shaw and that group, we were with the uh, Houston Business Roundtable, which is uh, a committee in uh, you know an organization in our area, it works hand-in-hand with the Health and Safety Council and WJTA, you know, we had that conversation and we, we said, you know, we need to start something. And so we started an industrial cleaning committee within HBR because they had already developed this WJTA training for their supervisors. And I was like, you know, man, that's a great idea where now it's, it's we know at the level what these people are getting trained in, it's across the board, but we have to get our, our owner sites to be able to, to require that. And so that's been the struggle is really getting people to understand it, that it's available and get on board with doing that. And then this, the next part of it was, Man, if you're offering that training and you can do that for the people who are doing the job, can you develop training for the owner sites, for our permit writers and our permit verification people? And so we did that. And it was a challenge that that we put onto them. And they did a great job. And I know within Karari, our site was the first one starting last August. All of our our production team, the people who um, verify permits and the people who write permits are required to have that training now. And we saw a huge difference in things that, you know, even, you know, with the people working in our plants, like the supervisors of those crews, they would ask me, they're like, man, they're asking us questions that they've never asked before. You know, this is great. We really enjoy this. It really feels like they're taking an interest in what we're doing here. And so I I really like that because now it's, it's opening eyes to see that this is not just a task that someone is doing. This is actually like really a, a career role. And the stuff that they're doing is specialized. It's not just, hey, four guys in a crew, get going, get that stuff clean, let us know when you're done.
0: Yeah, I love that you brought that up because um, I'm a big proponent of um, advancing hydroblasting in such a way that it becomes a recognized trade, much like welding and, and boiler making and things like that. And uh, because it is, it's very important work, right? Without industrial cleaning, Right. these your production facilities wouldn't run and all the things that we use every day as human beings like it would cease it would come you know it would it would all just come to a screeching halt uh, and but that's not how it's necessarily viewed and i think that having it become a recognized trade it will it will help with that it'll help elevate the the status and the recognized importance of of hydroblasting within plants what are your thoughts on it becoming a recognized trade
1: It absolutely has to be because these are not labor crews like was previously thought, right? I mean, let's, that's what the mentality within industry was these are labor pool people, you know, just anybody can, you know, man, I use, I go and wash my car on the weekends and use one of those, those wands and I can clean my car with it. And they don't realize the different, the different levels are, you know, where you're putting 10,000 up to 40,000 PSI, you know, some of it is, you know, some of these rigs pushing, what, 60 gallons a minute through 10,000 PSI. I mean, I can't even imagine the power, you know, on what it can do until you you watch somebody with a shotgun do a demonstration, and they cut right through a railroad tie. And I think that some of the stuff that really opens up people's eyes is the damage that can be done if it's not done correctly. But, you know, again, getting away from those labor pools, and you walk out there, and you're seeing these guys, and it's almost like Robotics engineers now. You know, they're actually doing stuff where you're you're watching what they're doing, they're away from the hazard, you know, and the efficiency that they can go on is night and day difference than you know 15, 20 years ago. You know, we look at you know OSHA over the last couple years, especially last year, they're really putting emphasis on heat stress. Well, I know in the Houston area, 80 degrees, we could we could get 80 degrees tomorrow and not see below 80 degrees again until maybe next October, November. Right? So when we talk about heat stress, it's real. And when you're going into tank cleaning, if you're not doing some kind of, you know, automation, the time it takes to get someone inside the tank, and then they can perform the work for only so amount of such amount of time, and then get them out and replace them. How much work is actually being done? Whereas you get that you know, automation set up, you're, you basically keep going until you set up and kind of take a look in there and see how it's doing. That's the only time you're really stopping until it's clean. So how much does it really cost? And I think that's one of the things that it's scary for companies who have never done it, but for companies who have used it, they won't go back.
0: Yep. I totally agree, and and I think that where technology is going, we're just getting started. But we have to have asset owner buy-in, right? For for professionalizing the industry, for advancing technology, and I've really seen, really since COVID, um, such a shift in interest with asset owners saying okay, you know, I want to be part of this. This is a better way to do this. And not just seeing it as a maintenance activity, but something that really is going to, you know, improve their operational efficiency, improve their costs, get them back up and running faster so they can continue to, you know, to drive revenue and profits. How do you see asset owners role in uh, continuing to advance these safety measures and the adoption of, of new technology?
1: Well, first of all, it's a partnership. Yeah. Everything in the industry is a partnership. We talk about asset owners versus the contractors, but in reality, we can't do what we do without them. So we have to have that conversation. And that's where these, you know, committees and organizations like HBR, you know, and developing these industrial cleaning committees where we actually bring people both the owner asset people together with the contractors together and talk about this stuff. Um, We have a monthly meeting. In fact, tomorrow there's one um, at the safety council and we meet there every month. And we go over, you know, a lot of those, what's current, what's going on. We we even have a member from OSHA that, that has come in. And last year he was even showing what a difference he could see in incidents since we started the industrial cleaning committee in this area. You know, what a difference with the training and with this stuff that they can see numbers going down with incidents in our, in our area. So, you know, as a safety professional metrics, you know, we live off of metrics, but we have to remember that those metrics are real people, you know, and that, that's one of the things I, I tell people all the time, that 0.05, that's a person, you know, that's not just a number, that's a person. So we have to work with, work together and we have to, Promote this within an industry, and it's up to me working with my maintenance managers and the people who bring people in to understand this is how we need to do this. This is how we need to move forward, and it's not it, we can never go back to four guys in a you in, know in 10k hydroblasting rig and a shotgun and let them go until they're done. We can't go that direction. It has to you have to keep going forward.
0: Yep, agreed. And how do you see OEMs playing in this relationship between asset owners and their cleaning providers?
1: You know, that is a really good question because you're the one the OEMs are the ones who come up with the, the automation. You know, they're the ones that develop this stuff, so they have to work with the with the contractors and they have to work with the with us, the asset owners as well. So we're actually working with members from Stone Age right now with one of our Karari sites because we have a special um, piece of equipment that in years past they wanted to shove people in this enclosure and have them in there cleaning this, this piece of equipment and it's not safe and we have to get those people out but we have to develop also look at what type of automation is available and if we don't have something That's where the oems are looking at different things you know to be able to come up with that automation to be able to do that because we have to get that that individual that person out of harm's way but we also need to keep get that equipment clean so it's a we definitely need the oems their support and it's it's kind of it's it has to all work the synergy has to work with all three of us
0: yeah i agree i think it's a three-way partnership because Uh, you know, we can't develop equipment that is going to help a contractor come in and do the job better if we don't understand the challenges that asset owners face. And it's all changing so fast. And so, you know, I think more than ever, where before it was just a nozzle at the end of the hose, right? Why would you care, right? Just come in here, clean it and get out. But now that technology is advancing and there are more robotics and now there are there's equipment that produces data that can actually help make valuable decisions. And you know there's so many places that this is going to go, like five years from now, this is gonna be, look so different, which is very exciting to me, but you can't, we can't do it with, without each other. And I think that's been a really big shift in, in all three parties recognizing how important it is that we're all at the table working together to solve these really tough challenges.
1: Right. You know, and, you know, when we go back to that discussion about the OEMs and with us, some of the changes that, that occur because there's so many of these specialty chemical companies, right? And the size of their equipment, you know, when people are used to looking at some of these bigger companies and get these big, huge pieces of equipment and there's plenty of space to fit something in, when you go to these specialty chemical companies, the size goes way of that equipment goes way down because it's more like in some cases, almost like a pilot plant, right? It's more, it's smaller, it's not making as much. So we have to come up with that technology to reduce the size of that automation to fit in some of this equipment to be able to clean it correctly. But that's where bringing that OEM onto our site, looking at that equipment, what do you guys got? What do you guys have to be able to fit in here that can do the job? If you don't have anything right now, you know, what can we do to develop something? But it's it is that partnership that's gonna have to keep moving forward between all three sides.
0: And I think it's really important to not forget the smaller sites because there are so many, but it's easy just to think about solving it for for the big players with the big sites. But it's those smaller sites in more rural locations that are going to be slower to adopt technology. One, because do they have easy access to it? And two, is it going to work for their smaller equipment? But those are going to be the places that the safety incidences happen. And so I think I'm really glad that you brought this up because I do think that it's really important that we look at the industry holistically and not just build product and solve problems for the big players and the big sites because it really needs to be safe across the entire industry no matter where you are in the world
1: yeah and again those smaller sites what a lot of people may not realize the way they operate there's probably more hydroblasting that goes on in those sites per you know based on percentage than in the bigger sites because They're always transitioning to different grades. So that means during that transition, those uh, hydroblasters have to come in, clean and prep for the next batch that they start doing, if they're changing grades or different things like that. So where some of the bigger sites, it's a continuous operation. And the only time they really use hydroblasting is during turnarounds. And if they have something major happen with a piece of equipment, it goes down and they got to clean it. But a lot of the smaller sites percentage wise are using hydroblastine more than the bigger sites.
0: Yep. Yep. Such a great point. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to talk just a little bit about the Houston Business Roundtable um, and how people can get involved. So could you just briefly talk about the mission and the vision of HBR and you know, how people can get involved?
1: Yeah. So the Houston Business Roundtable, where it's, it's great because this is our 50th year. We're actually, we're actually celebrating 50 years, um, nice. 2023 started in 1973. Um, really the mission the whole time is really bring safety to the forefront, making sure that we are communicating between the owner asset owners, you know, and the, um, and the contractors, which we call partners. And so it's really just to help promote safety and also helps promote efficiency which overall, if you do that, it helps also bring down cost of operations. And that's really more of a, you know, it doesn't even have to be stated. It's just kind of one of those that's embedded in there, but that's, you know, and then the vision, you know, is the same thing. It's really just promoting the safety in workplace. You know, we do, we're in the process right now of our safety excellence awards that we've been doing for 36 years. And we talk about metrics and, uh, you know, throughout America, you know, we have the TRIR numbers, you know, your total recordable incident rate numbers. And this area, our average through our CAC that we are the 43 sites here, you know, plus some other ones, it runs about a 0.37, you know? And so that's the average for our TRIR numbers, which is really good. And we put that up against anywhere else in the world. And we're, we're the only industry right now that is better is, was it CPAs, mm-hmm. if you look at the Board of Labor and Statistics. Yeah. So that means that we look at hazards, we recognize those hazards, and we mitigate from those hazards. Well, the companies that, per, uh, that last year that participated in the safety excellence awards process, the finalists, their average TRIR number was a 0.05. Wow. 0.05. And that's with over 7 million hours worked. That their, their numbers were a 0.05 that shows what going through the safety excellence awards process and being a part of HBR and sharing, you know, what we learn, you know, we have best practices that we have um, through this process, people share their best practices and you know, and that's that's ultimately what's the best thing because every year someone's coming up with some other new way to help promote safety. And then we get to borrow, not borrow it, we steal it. (laughs) Well, it's given to us, right? It's given to us because that's what safety does. And that's one of the reasons I think, you know, when we talked about why I do what I do, I love that. I love being able to share and uh, come someone comes up with a great idea and you're able to take it back to your site and use it and help promote safety at your site.
0: Yeah. And do you have to be in the Houston area to be part of HBR?
1: Actually you don't. So it's it's really, it's uh, the greater Houston area, which really goes down all the way past like Freeport, the whole Gulf coast but you don't have to be just in Houston to be a member. Uh, we have um, a lot of, cause a lot, most of our companies are global companies. So we even have uh, say Phillips 66, um, our member there, he shares it with the people. They have people from New Jersey and other places yeah. that will join in and uh, and discuss things and share its safety with other people. So I know it's a Houston business round table and that might throw people off sometimes, but really it's, uh, it's not geographically um landlocked
0: yeah that's great and how can people find uh more information about hbr
1: so the website is houbrt.com and that's uh that's the easiest way to find us uh willie wells is our executive director and uh we're on linkedin i think they even have a facebook page they put out a bunch of different material out there um Said we were right in the middle of our safety excellence awards. We just had our big tailgate. we uh, where we announced all the finalists. We had over six thousand people that showed up that day. So, so it was a great time. It was uh, it was the Wild West. So it was a really good time. You know, and really when it comes down to it, it's all in the name of safety. Um, the booths they had their the Wild West theme, but they also the theme the underlying theme was safety. So they would have different like, you know, safety themes built into it. So it was really cool to walk around and see that.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll include those in the show notes so that people can, uh, can go find HBR. Wonderful. All right. Well, Richard, I know we're at the end of our time. Thank you so much for coming and joining me on the show. Um, I really pre- appreciate your insight and all the work that you're doing for industry. So thank you.
1: All right. Well, thank you for having me.
0: All right. Take care. Hang tight, everybody. We'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Richard. Be sure to check out Houston Business Roundtable if you're in the United States. And with that, I'm going to leave you. I hope you have a very safe rest of your day, and I look forward to hosting you next month. And if you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, subscribe to it, and most importantly, share it. There are so many great stories out here in our industry that need to be told, and they only get told if we do our part in helping to spread those stories. So please feel free to share this with your network. Um, I do appreciate it. It helps the algorithms, and it just continues to get the word out on just how important safety and technology is in our industry. All right, that's it for this month. Take care. We'll see you next month.